I'm Anthony Brooks in for Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. Army Major Mike Donahue was killed by a roadside bomb in Afghanistan in 2014. That made his then 16-year-old daughter, Bailey Donahue, a gold star kid. As Americans prepare to celebrate Memorial Day weekend, we're going to spend some time today hearing about what it's like to have a parent in the military who didn't make it home. We're talking about families who pay a painful price that too many of us know too little about. Military children and other family members are asked to watch as their loved ones train and deploy and sometimes die. These families take on a terrible burden that few of us think about, let alone discuss. So we're going to do that today. Now, Bailey Donahue wrote an essay about losing her dad as part of a writing seminar for Gold Star children and their siblings organized by the online publication The War Horse. Bailey is with us live today, but first, here she is reading her essay. It's called Embrace the Suck. It's Saturday morning in Lynchburg, Virginia, shortly before sunrise. I lace my Nikes and head out the door for a weekly run with my dad. I'm 12 years old. I tiptoe down the steps and gently open and close the front door so I don't disturb my mother and siblings, still asleep in their beds. My father and I hop in his 1984 Jeep Cherokee and cruise to the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. The sound of Mumford & Sons blares from the speakers as the cool wind blows through our hair. When we arrive at the base of the trail, the sky is split into deep blue and orange streaks, the afterglow that appears for only a few minutes after sunrise. I follow his lead. As we jog down the path, our legs fly over the roots and leaves as the sound of our footsteps and breaths echo and sink along the winding trails. A couple of miles in, he points to one mountain, sharp top, as we stretch at an overlook. Look, Bailey, he says, that's your mountain. A few miles later, when fatigue kicks in from the altitude, he repeats the same words he always says when grit is required more than ever before. Embrace the suck. When my father and I arrive back home, he begins making breakfast. The smell of pancakes and coffee blends with the sounds of Pearl Jam. My brother, sister, and my mom slowly gather at the dining room table. We eat, make a plan for how we want to spend the day, and then leisurely stack dirty dishes into the dishwasher. The time I spend with my dad is rare but intentional, like wearing the necklace he gave me from a rock when I turned 10, brittle from age and reserved for most special occasions. I'm always happier when I'm with him, especially on the days he drops me off at school, because they are so rare. They mean he isn't at work or deployed to another combat zone. It means more time with my partner in crime. And it means one more ride in his beat-up, faded-from-the-sun jeep and looking at him behind the driver's seat, saying three words I can still hear. Do good things. It's a Tuesday afternoon on September 16th, 2014. I am 16. The day ended 10 minutes ago, but I'm working on an extra credit assignment with my brother Seamus, who shares a history class with me. When it's over, we walk down the hall and through the side doors of our school, laughing over stupid jokes before we go our separate ways. He has cross-country practice, and my mom is picking me up. She's never late. Five minutes pass. I begin to worry. Another five minutes pass. Now I'm scared. Now 15 minutes have passed. I call her cell phone. No response. Another five minutes pass. 
silence. After 25 minutes, I began pacing the sidewalk. 30 minutes, still, no response. I call again and again. My mother finally picks up. I can feel her tears as she tells me a family friend will pick me up. She says she has to stay late at work. I know she is lying. Our conversation is abrupt. She tells me she loves me. I call my best friend, Jessie. I hope this doesn't have anything to do with my dad, I tell her. A few minutes later, my mom's friend arrives. I pelt her with questions. I know something is wrong. She tells me she doesn't know, that she doesn't have any answers. I know she is lying. I worry that my dad is dead. Then, as we round the corner of my street, I see a strange car in my driveway, and I know. It takes me only a few steps to get to my front door. I turn the door handle with the greatest hesitancy that my body can allow. That's when I see two men in uniform standing in my living room. My mother is on her knees, kneeling atop a carpet my dad sent us from Afghanistan. You have the wrong guy, she cries out. I know he's out there hiding. You just have to go find him. I walk towards my mom and wrap my arms around her. In my head, I see a montage of future moments flash in my mind. College acceptance, graduation, the flat tires and car problems he's supposed to help fix, getting my first job, walking down the aisle on my wedding day, the marathon we were supposed to run together, but this time without my dad, all taken away by a Taliban fighter. After a few seconds, I let go of my mother and slowly walk upstairs to my room. I shut my door and sit on my bed. Time stops. All I can hear is the watch on my bedside table. Tick, tick, tick. The minute hand moves forward without me. I sit for a while without moving. I stare blankly. My mom's friend slowly opens my door and embraces me. I begin to feel my body again. She ushers me downstairs as our house fills with family, friends, and strangers. My mom is on all fours on her front lawn, throwing up as our casualty assistance officer drives down the street and parks in our driveway. Next, I see Seamus walk through the front door. His eyes are the saddest I've seen them. I walk back upstairs, wanting to hide from it all. My dad was supposed to be home already, but he was involuntarily extended for 30 days. He had just 23 days of his deployment remaining. Time passes. I hear the house pile with more people. More time passes. I isolate myself from it all. From my bedroom, I hear my brother and another family friend leave to pick up my older sister, Victoria, from college in Boone, North Carolina. My mom's greatest fear was that my sister would find out about her dad from someone else. So she told her over the phone, only after telling my sister to hand the phone to her roommate. I need you to step into a different room and let me know when you have. I'm about to tell Victoria that her father's dead and I need you to be by her side until we can pick her up so she's safe. 
I lay on my bed beneath the sheets. I listened to the watch on my bedside table again. Tick, tick, tick. It's Wednesday morning, my first day waking up as a gold star child. As I open my eyes, I think my dad's death was just a nightmare. Then I hear my mom's sharp reverberating cries and I remember our new reality. Moments later, a family friend enters my bedroom. We have to fly to Delaware for my dad's dignified transfer. I sit on my floor and stare blankly in my mirror. My mom's friend brushes my hair. She tells me I'll look beautiful. I feel nauseous. Later in the day, as the plane's wheels on our commercial flight lift from the tarmac, tears stream down my face. I hope the flight will crash. As my family and I arrive at a hotel, my mom talks to the widow of someone killed alongside my dad. She has two children. One is a young daughter. I sit with her, broken by her youth. She is nine years old. We eventually drive to Dover Air Force Base and are shuttled to the tarmac. We wait. When the tail of the plane opens, six uniformed men march on board and carry my dad's flag-draped coffin from the aircraft to American soil. It's dark outside, except for the lights illuminating the runway, a spotlight on the dream I can't wake up from. We stand in silence until my mom points out a butterfly that has landed on my dad's casket. It's in the direct light. You can't miss it. I smile. As they carry him to the vehicle, the butterfly flies away. The next two weeks are a blur, and before I know it, I'm looking at my dad in his casket. He looks real and absent at the same time. Until now, none of it felt real. Later, the awareness of his absence grows as I hear the sharp, hollow sounds of horses drawing louder on the roads between fields of green and rows of white, leading my father's flag-draped silver box into section 60. When the horses come to a stop, Eight men in uniform lift his casket and march in sync. They set him down a few feet away from rows of chairs. Red roses mark our seats. When the chaplain begins to speak, all falls silent. His words are beautiful, but I can't process them. I'm beginning to realize that I will never see my dad again. A soldier plays Amazing Grace on the bagpipes. A retired soldier places an 82nd Airborne Medallion on my dad's casket. Seven men in crisp uniforms each fire their rifles three times. A bugler plays taps. An officer kneels down and presents my family with a folded American flag, an honor I don't wish to receive. I can't accept that he's a few feet away from me, waiting to join a sea of white stones and perfectly cut green grass. I don't want to walk away. My father, Mike Donahue, is dead. Bailey Donahue. Her father, Army Major Mike Donahue, was killed by a roadside bomb in Afghanistan in 2014. Part two of our essay comes later this hour. And when we come back, we'll talk with Bailey and another Gold Star child and a veteran of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan who brought them together 
to write about their experiences as Gold Star children. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a short break. I'm Anthony Brooks. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Anthony Brooks. Before the break, you heard Gold Star Child Bailey Donahue read part of an essay she wrote for The War Horse, a nonprofit newsroom about the military and military life. She wrote about losing her father during the war in Afghanistan. And Bailey joins me now from New York. Today, she works uh, as an enrollment administrator at the nonprofit Children of Fallen Patriots. And Bailey Donahue, welcome to On Point. It's good to have you. Hi. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's really good to have you. And I want to thank you for that essay. It was very moving. And I want to tell our listeners, by the way, that you can read Bailey's essay uh, for the War Horse by going to our website, onpointradio.org. I wonder, Bailey, if you could just tell us a little bit more about your father, how you like to remember him. Yeah, so my dad, he was such a strong-willed, strong-minded person. And I looked up to him mostly just as a father figure rather than seeing him in a military uniform. So for me growing up, he was just my partner in crime, somebody that I always enjoyed spending time with. He was my best friend and filled up so many pieces of me growing up. And he um, he definitely taught me so much as well. I love the image. I love imagining. Um, in that essay, you, you, you began that essay that we heard in the first segment there, talking about running with your dad, jogging with him, and him kind of uh, pushing you, you know, when things got hard. Is that something you did a lot with him? Yes, absolutely. He definitely did push me. He was so soft, but at the same time, so strong in the sense that he taught me from a very young age to push past all boundaries and to really just embrace the suck, truly. 
<laughs> right, embrace the suck. Now, you describe a kind of blacking out almost when you heard the terrible news that, that he was killed in Afghanistan. You remember some things, other things are a blur. Can you tell us a little bit more about that initial reaction and what it felt like and what it kind of felt like to return, I guess, to sort of land in the real world and start making sense of what happened? Absolutely. A lot of those times were very much filled with blacking out, for lack of better terms. I remember growing up and every time my dad was on deployment, feeling in the back of my head that sense of anxiety, knowing that somebody that I loved very much was in a very potential dangerous situation at all times. So any sort of growing up, just any sort of phone call, any sort of potential situation where bad news could arise, that was always a fear. But at the same time, it was something that was so extreme that it's one of those situations where you don't think that something would happen until it does happen. Mm. So in finding out the news, it kind of meshed a little bit over time and just after school, all these little pieces added up between mm. knowing that I was supposed to be picked up for my mom, but feeling in the back of my head something is wrong and then that fear coming from deep down in my heart of I just can't even accept that if this has anything to, to do with my dad. I just just trying to rationalize all other potential situations, but yeah, so there was a lot of a lot of um being physically in the moment and in realizing this could potentially happen but then at the same time being afraid of finding out that news. Of course, uh, very understandable. Bailey, I'm I'm wondering if your dad, Mike Donahue, Army Major Mike Donahue, I mean you knew obviously um when he was deployed to dangerous places that he was running a risk. Did he talk to you? about that, about the possibility that he might not come back? He talked more about it with my my older brother than anything, but I believe that the little, I think that there were hidden messages, honestly. And when he was, he always said, do good things. And I think that in his last deployment, reading that and the letters that we had sent back and forth to each other, they kind of started having a little bit more of a meaning almost almost as a statement rather than just a he used to say it just kind of as a goodbye like do good things rather than saying goodbye so i think that there were definitely some that that reality that he knew there was a likelihood of mm. not coming home and i think that so in that, some way so, he so, so that do good things that he would uh urge you to do that he'd say to you was kind of a, you, you, you took it maybe even subconsciously as, if I don't come back, just remember this, do good things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Can I ask how you are today? And specifically, you know, as the nation prepares to celebrate the long Memorial Day weekend, what, what are you thinking about? How are you doing? Absolutely. So it's interesting. I think that grief plays such a longitudinal role in our lives. And there's so many different chapters of our lives where we experience 
where we are almost reminded of the pain. And to be honest, I think I spent a very long time of my life through the grieving process more so recently in the past few years, just not necessarily paying close attention and feeling that pain. And so, you know, it's been nine years and it really took until experiencing um, the writing seminar with the Warhorse a couple of weeks ago to really just unplug for a moment and to tap into all of those feelings. That in itself was such a healing experience. I can't even articulate it. So what do you think? That of, being, yeah, well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm really intrigued fine. about this because you wrote so beautifully and powerfully. And what was it about that writing experience that brought you to the extent that it brought you some kind of relief. What was it about the, the the writing experience that did that? I think that it was a multitude of things. I think that first and foremost, just the the group setting, the safe space, the staff, every single element that went into it to create that atmosphere for us to truly express ourselves, that was powerful and so rare. On top of being in a ranch in Texas, uh, completely unplugged that in itself. I mean, it, we all got the opportunity to really think about our own personal stories. And like I said, for a long time, I think that I was not necessarily tapping into the pain behind it all. And I was not feeling it, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. so given that opportunity to then also find a way to ex- express ourselves creatively through writing and learning about it, learning about writing and speaking with other people about the beauty of creative expression and being in that safe space altogether. I think it was just a multitude of things that really led up to being able to express ourselves. We're talking today with Gold Star children. We're talking with young people who lost um, a father. Uh, their fathers in the military. Bailey Donahue is with me. Her father, Army Major Mike Donahue, died in Afghanistan in 2014. And I want to introduce someone else. And Bailey, you met her at the War Horses Writer Seminar for Gold Star Children. So joining us from Atlanta, Georgia, is Maria Rossi. She lost her father, Major General John Rossi, in July 2016 when she was 25 years old. Maria's essay uh, will appear in the online journal The War Horse soon. And Maria, thank you so much for, for being with us. We really appreciate it. Hi, Anthony. Thank you for having me. And hi, Bailey. Hi, Maria. So, Maria, tell us something about your father. Um, tell us how he died, if you can, first of all. Yeah, of course. So I lost my father July of 2016 to suicide. And... It's, of course, it's it's a difficult thing to experience. Um, you know, it's hard to put into words because words like traumatic and shocking or life changing just don't don't seem to be enough. Um, but needless to say, it was the worst day of my life. Um, I, I was older when it happened. You know, I was twenty five at the time, so my experience is. Definitely differs from Bailey's in a lot of ways, but one thing I realized, especially recently at the seminar with the other fellows, was the similarities that we shared um, in our tragedies and in our grief. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And we're talking about uh, this was a seminar that brought together Gold Star children uh, essentially to write uh, about 
their uh, their experiences. And I'm wondering if you, just because I want to honor these folks as real people, tell us more mm-hmm. about your father, how you remember him, what he was like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my father was the greatest man I've ever known. Uh, he was an uh, Italian from New York, and I... I see a lot of myself in him, like my sense of humor, um, the things that I find funny that other people may not, but I know he and I would just die laughing about. Um, yeah, he was incredibly strong and brave, and it was, I was just in awe always watching him and seeing the people, you know, whether they were his soldiers or just his friends and family, how they looked up to him. And he was just always the kind of, he was a guy that you could go to and you knew he would always give you great advice mm-hmm. and you trusted his words. And he was just somebody that you, you could respect. If I can, I want to ask you about um, what might have led up to his suicide. Were there any clues um, that he was depressed, that he was overwhelmed? I mean, to, to, looking back, did you... Was there a sense that this might be coming around the corner? You know, like looking back, I can see, okay, maybe this was a sign, but nothing would have ever prepared me or made me think that it would have led to his death. Um, It's, I mean, we weren't, you know, I was living away from him at the time, so wasn't speaking to him like on a regular basis. So I wasn't there to see him day to day, but just from things I've heard from family and friends, I think he might've been just getting a little overwhelmed with the new job and the, what he was about to be taking on. And unfortunately, I don't know, maybe I'm sorry that he didn't see uh, what everybody else saw in him, you know, that, that he could, handle anything and could excel at anything. So if, yeah. By the way, uh, because we're talking about a difficult subject, um, suicide, we, we want our listeners to know that if, if anyone is struggling with thoughts about suicide, you can call or text the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Um, Maria, as, as we mentioned, uh, you also wrote an essay for the online journal, The War Horse, which is going to be published soon. Um, I've read it. It's wonderful. And I was wondering if you could read, we talked about you reading an excerpt from it, which I believe you have right there. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to. Yeah, go ahead. The priest called my name and I rose from the cold wooden bench. The blood rushed to my head. I stood up there with the words I yearned to say burning in my throat like a hot brand iron begging for the sweet relief of water. But I, too, went on about his bravery, leadership, and intelligence, and how he was the greatest father a girl could have. I, too, threw in a joke about his espresso. I said what I thought they all needed to hear. I said what I thought would make them all feel better. But all I wanted to say was, Daddy, I'm sorry. You don't have to worry. I love you. Fixating on the rows of poignant smiles staring up at me, I avoided looking at his draped casket. 
but as we followed it up the aisle and out of the church, I heard that haunting voice in my head. You missed your chance again. That's Maria Rossi reading uh, an essay that's going to appear in the online journal The War Horse uh, soon, writing about the death of her father, Major General John Rossi, um, who died in July of 2016. So, Maria, you missed your chance again. That was the final line of that graph. What was the chance you missed? Well, when my father passed, we were... We were at, at odds. Mm. You know, there there was no malice or hate or anything like that. We were just in an awkward, not really speaking terms. Um, I was going through a lot in my life, uh, about to be a newly single mother of a five-year-old, and he was just worried about me, like, like any parent would be. Um, and I was just too stubborn and immature to admit that. So, so when he died, I, I felt this guilt thinking that he died not knowing I loved him or just just not being able to make things right. Yeah, that I, I'm so sorry to hear that. I mean, that's got to be, a, 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 you know, a terrible thing. I mean, all families have these moments where, you know, you sort of lose contact with each other and to have that possibility of of resolving that snatched away from you, it, it, sounds, it sounds very difficult. Um, I want to ask you both and Bailey, I want to come back to you. Um, You know, as the nation prepares to celebrate this long Memorial Day weekend, I'm just wondering, you know, what do you want the average American to think about who might not have experienced the kind of grief and loss that you have felt um, and and continue to feel? I mean, what should we be thinking about on, on this day or as we approach Memorial Day? I think that simply just remembering and having that awareness. And, you know, it's interesting. There are certain things that you can't necessarily understand until you experience it yourself. And that's okay. But at the same time, just to know, just to understand the meaning behind Memorial Day and to understand, to try to understand the purpose behind it and to keep that in the back of your mind, honestly, in the front of your mind. Just remembering, that's what I would say. Right. Maria, same question to you. Yeah, absolutely, what Bailey said. Um, really just, I I want America to know that, that we're here, you know, and we appreciate their support um, for Gold Star families. And, you know, Memorial Weekend, it's... It kind of has this, um, it's seen as a, a, a long weekend to have barbecue with your friends or take your family to the beach. And absolutely, you should do that and enjoy that because right. that's that's what our dads fought for, was the freedoms to do that. So embrace it and remember it. All right. We're speaking with two young women whose fathers died in military service. We're going to talk more after the break. I'm Anthony Brooks. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. 
Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. This is On Point. I'm Anthony Brooks. And a quick word about a show we're working on for next week about the looming debt ceiling deadline and what that could mean for you and your money. If a deal isn't reached, the Treasury Department says the U.S. could be unable to pay its bills as soon as early June. Credit rating agencies could lower the credit rating of the U.S. So how do you think all this could affect your finances? Washington Post personal finance columnist Michelle Singletary will join us to answer your debt ceiling questions. You can put your question to Michelle by recording a message on the On Point Vox Pop app. If it's not on your phone already, just search for it, On Point Vox Pop, wherever you get your apps. Or you can leave us a voicemail at this number, 617-353-0683. Again, that's 617-353-0683. Today, uh, we are talking with Gold Star children. As many Americans prepare to celebrate the long holiday weekend, we're spending some time this hour with the children of veterans who lost their fathers, veterans who won't be with them this coming Memorial Day. Maria Rossi lost her father, Major General Ross, uh, Major General John Rossi, in July of 2016 when she was 25. And Bailey Donahue's dad, Army Major Mike Donahue, was killed by a roadside bomb in Afghanistan in 2014 when she was 16. So let's listen to the rest of Bailey's essay, which she wrote for the War Horse about life after her father's death. It's a Wednesday in May. I'm 25 years old. It's just before sunrise when I put on my hokas and tiptoe over the creaky wood of the cabin I'm sharing with others during a retreat. Careful not to wake them. I gently open and close the front door, then walk down the steps and stretch. I follow the dirt path that leads to the end of the ranch. The sound of my dad's playlist blaring in my headphones as I run alone down a Texas road. With each step, the sky splits into deep blue and orange streaks. My feet strike the pavement as I listen to the playlist my dad and I would blast in his Jeep to and from our weekend runs. A few miles later, when fatigue begins to kick in, I hear the same words my father would always say when grit was required. Embrace the suck. As I gain momentum, my thoughts come flooding. I think about how, as a child, I didn't like talking to anyone. I was polite but silent. I felt like people in my life were temporary, just like the whispers my brother and I heard in the hallway when we returned to school two weeks after our dad was killed. I hated it. And for a while, I was confused by how to respond when classmates asked how it happened. Talking about losing my father at war over cafeteria food in high school doesn't exactly go with prom themes or anyone's weekend plans. I think about how I hated hearing my school make an announcement about my dad over the intercom. I hated strangers texting their condolences to me. And I hated seeing my mom cry. 
I hated that I couldn't focus in class or bear to think about taking the SATs or where I wanted to apply to college. And that when I went to college, I tried to hide my pain for so long that I no longer recognized myself. I hated that I was afraid to take up any space at all until I filled my space up so much that I didn't have room to feel anything anymore. Worst of all, I grew to hate myself so much that I was considering how much easier it would be if everything just stopped. I was bitter. I was broken. But as I continue to run, I begin to realize all the beautiful things that wouldn't have happened had I not lost my dad. It was finally sinking in that I am who I am today because of my father, how he trained me, and how I now view his loss. I push on under the vast Texas sky. I begin to realize the gifts my father has given me, even in loss. Because of my dad, I recognize the individual value of every person I meet. Because of my dad, I live my life with intention and purpose. I connect more deeply with people. Because of my dad, I know the finiteness of life and the importance of the words spoken about your character when your life comes to an end. Because of my dad, I graduated from college debt-free and now serve families like mine through the Children of Fallen Patriots Foundation. I've met friends who also lost a parent, and I ran my first Wear Blue Marathon with them. Because of my dad, I met President Joe Biden and First Lady Jill Biden and asked her what advice she had for a 24-year-old. Be kind, the First Lady told me. Always be kind. I cannot change the fact that I lost my father, but I can learn to love where I am and find meaning while sitting in discomfort. Above all, I can find the good in every day. I can embrace the suck. It's the duality of fullness and emptiness at the same time. Often, it's being stuck in two places at once. On one hand, I'm stuck with the grief of losing a piece of myself. On the other, I'm hungry to grow older, to take all that life has to offer. Living without him is a race that never ends. Some moments, I feel my feet strike the pavement paired with an inner fullness of purpose and direction. In other moments, I'm on the side of the road, hunched over the curb with my heartbeat throbbing in my ears and my mind convincing myself I can make it to the next light post. I keep running. Not running away, not running to, but running with. Now I hear the echo of his voice in my head. Do good things. That was Bailey Donahue reading from her essay about life after her father's death in Afghanistan. She's with us, along with Maria Rossi, who lost her dad, Major General John Ross, in uh, 2010. And Maria and Bailey stand by because I want to bring in one more voice into this conversation. Joining us from Washington is Thomas Brennan. He's executive director of The War Horse, a nonprofit newsroom focused on military service. And he's the guy who brought you two together for the seminar. And Thomas is a Marine veteran who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. He was a squad leader in Afghanistan's Helmand province where he was wounded and forced into medical retirement. And Thomas, welcome to On Point. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's really good to have you. I'd love to just ask you, I know you know Bailey and Maria, but you've been listening along. What stands out in what you're hearing them talk about? Um, 
I think what stands out is how openly they're talking about it because when I met them a few weeks ago uh, during the beginning of this, the, the seminar, uh, they weren't very confident that they had a story that, that America needed to hear. Um, and you know, now we're having a conversation with you and, and lots of people are listening. So it, I, the progress that they've made uh, has just been truly phenomenal and, and the words that they have put down on the page. Um, uh, I'm just so incredibly proud of the hard work that they put into it and, mm. and the beautiful things that they've written as a result. Can you tell us about uh, the War Horse seminars and, and the thinking behind them and, and you know what you want to accomplish with them? It, so uh, they all started because when I first got wounded uh, as a Marine, um, it was journalists that mentored me and helped me uh, learn how to write and, and you know, uh, mentored me into my career in journalism. Uh, so uh, when I became a reporter and started The War Horse, I, I wanted to pass on that, that incredible access that, that I'd been uh, afforded uh, early on in my career. And, you know, the, the seminars bring together their expenses paid weeks, uh, thanks to, you know, our generous donors. And they bring together award-winning journalists and authors and publishers. Uh, and I think the, the best thing that we do is, is help the fellows um, find the confidence that they have a story uh, worth writing and that America needs to hear. Yeah. And Bailey and Maria, and I'll start with you, Maria, just, uh, you know, Thomas was talking there about, you know, when you first came to that seminar, you didn't have the confidence or you didn't think you had a story to tell. Can you talk a little bit about that sort of the importance, I guess, of that evolution of, of realizing that you did have a story to tell that people like me and across the country would be interested to hear? Absolutely. Um, in the yeah, in the beginning, I I didn't think I had a story to tell or I didn't think that I would be able to tell it well and, you know, do honor to my father and make my family proud. I, I was terrified. You know, I, I missed the flight to go to the seminar because I was so scared of just not, you know, doing what I thought was expected of me. But, you know, Thomas encouraged me and motivated me and supported me every step of the way. And I got on the plane and it was the best experience of my life. Um, I don't, I don't know if they'll ever understand what exactly they did for me. You know, they they gave me a chance to connect with my father and use my words and ability to write and do something with it, um, something for him. And they they gave me that chance, you know, the outlet I needed, the courage to say the words and mm. to write my story. And I'm I'm just so thankful for them for believing in my story and believing in me. And Bailey, same question to you. Um, can you talk a little bit about that evolution from not being certain that you had a story to tell and, and, and the benefit that you derived from telling that story? Yeah, it was, I feel like there was so much progression in such a small period of time. Just like Maria, I mean, I started the week honestly feeling, feeling like I didn't have the courage to put down anything onto paper and also not even really knowing exactly where to start because honestly for so long I just wasn't completely emotionally open to tell my story. And I think that there are times where I've shared my story but I haven't necessarily shown up in the most 
authentic way. I haven't been able to really tap into some of the the hardest emotions that I've struggled with. I just think that there were some gaps. And the seminar was really what challenged me in all the best ways to fill those gaps and to to dive deeper, just the space that we had to be able to express ourselves so freely and encourage each other and to really just listen to each other's stories. And we made jokes throughout the week. Every time one of us would share something organically in conversation, another person would say, write that down. So <laughs> it was it was a beautiful experience. And the courage, just as Maria spoke about, to really speak and write from the heart and the mind, that was, that was everything. So there was, honestly, it was like completely two different sides from day one to day five. Mm. Thomas, I want to ask you, actually, I want to ask you all three of you about this, but I'm going to start with you. On on the um, website of The War Horse, um, it's, it's the application, essentially, for, for the seminar. There's some really powerful writing. I'm just going to read one paragraph. Uh, it says, for two decades, military children and family members watched as their loved ones trained and deployed in support of the global war on terror. In doing so, they shouldered a unique burden that few discuss that too often is misunderstood or ignored by the American public. I paraphrase that in, in the introduction to this program. But Thomas, can you talk a little bit more about that, um, particularly the idea that too often misunderstood or ignored by the American public. What are you referring to there? Um, I think that there is an incredibly significant military and civilian divide that exists in our country. Um, you know, it's it's the double-edged sword that is the all-volunteer military force. Right. Uh, it, it means that some people, thankfully, uh, won't know the realities of, of combat. Um, but, but it means that a a smaller and smaller population of Americans uh, are are serving, and that that means that you know there's a smaller percentage of families as well. Uh, and as that military and civilian divide grows, um, those families, like Bailey's and and, and like Maria's, um, are more and more misunderstood by the American public. Uh, and that that's that that's not good. Um, that, that's not good for us as a democracy. It's, it's not good for us as, as a public that needs to understand uh, what we ask military families, um, uh, what we ask of military families. Uh, so, yeah. No, it's well, that's well expressed. What do you think the solution is? Um, uh, I mean, how do we make the broader public more aware, more appreciative, more understanding of what families uh, like Bailey's families and, and Maria's family ha- have gone through? Um, my advice uh, w- when people ask that is uh, I always suggest to ask a veteran or a military family member when, when you want to know about service, um, start with the happiest memory. Mm. Um, d- don't start with uh, doom and gloom, um, because if you ask me about the my, my worst time in uniform, um, it's going to be when I thought, you know, when the like, when Marines that I was serving with died and they had kids. Like the worst thing for me was thinking about the kids back home. Um, it, it. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. But it, you know, we 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 always think about the kids, and yep. and most people don't understand the burden that the kids shoulder. Um, right. When we send people off to war. Bailey and Maria, our, our, our time is, is, is running low, but I'd like to sort of get you to chime in on that very sort of deep idea about how, um, you know, 
the broader American public really misunderstands or ignores what families like yours uh, go through. Can you take a, a whack at that, Bailey? Yeah. So I think that there there's a little bit of a divide sometimes, and that's just for, speaking from my experience, just kind of growing up in a military family and the structure that comes with that and the moves that come with that and the experiences. That's what really what shaped my family and I, my siblings and I, from the beginning. And that piece, I mean, that's part of who I am. And I noticed this bit of a divide when I started growing up and um, experiencing new things and, and honestly just getting into the real world, for lack of better terms, and just not necessarily feeling connected in some aspects. So I think, and just as I was saying earlier, it's kind of hard to truly understand something if you haven't experienced it, but then there's that level of empathy that you could feel. And that's the beauty in listening to these stories, mm. really just understanding other people's experiences and that this this is something that truly matters. Bailey Donahue and Maria Rossi, um, your dads died while serving this country, while working for all of us. So in addition to my condolences, I want to say thank you. I want to thank you for their service and their sacrifice, for your sacrifices as well. And same to you, Thomas Brennan, um, founder and executive director of the nonprofit journal focused on military service newsroom, The War Horse. Um, I wish you all a happy Memorial Day and May it be a day that brings you all closer to peace. Thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Anthony Brooks. This is On Point.